Grace for your marriage. Grace for your marriage. Now listen, I know some of you are thinking, oh man, I came here, I'm not married. Don't ever want to be married. And so uh, I promise you, I promise you that you can get something from God today. Amen. So uh, I know God is not, I've taught on health, finances, and other parts uh, of relationships. And you think, well, I, I don't need any of that. Well, whatever you need, God knows. How many think that God knows what you need and He can get it to you no matter what? Amen? So, let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word today. We thank You for the Holy Ghost to minister life, for our minds to be renewed and even changed. That You are such a blessed Father that You want the best for us. And we thank You in Jesus' name. Amen. Outside of salvation, who you marry is one of the most important decisions you ever make. It's vitally important. And all of us know that um, somebody who's been divorced, you know, and I know that uh, some religious people, that if you get a divorce, that's like the unpardonable sin. And, uh, you know, God can never use you again or whatever. We do not believe that, and I don't believe God believes that. You know, because, I mean, some people think that divorced people are second-class citizens, but that's not true. No, we're not promoting divorce, obviously. We're talking about marriage, but I'm saying that there is no condemnation to them who are in Christ. I say it again. There's no condemnation to them. If you've been divorced, you're not condemned by God. He doesn't move you down the, the, the ladder. No, you're still His favorite, but... I know it does break my heart, though. You hear people, it seems like more and more in our day and age have been married 20 years, 30 years, 35 years, and they get a divorce. And it just breaks my heart, you know. I mean, also, it just I think, you're going to start all over again? I mean, we've been married 27 years, and we still don't know exactly everything about each other. And to think that you want to start over, I mean, that's, that's a nightmare gone bad, if you ask me. But anyway, God wants us to have the best marriage possible. That's the, the good news of your father. And so I uh, did a little bit of uh, digging and research about what the world thinks marriage is. And I believe, unfortunately, this has crept in to the church, not our church, but the church around the world, what I mean by it says marriage is defined primarily as a relationship dedicated to the fulfillment of each individual needs and desires. And they call that having a soulmate. In other words, you can meet my needs. And the other person says, you can meet my needs. If that is your definition of marriage, you're in for hell on earth. That person cannot meet your needs. Thank you for your enthusiasm. But that's the expectation. That is the expectation. Uh, the trouble with the soulmate, it says that marriages are high-maintenance marriages. You know, it's kind of like crybabies. Uh, they have to constantly be coddled and 
taken care of. That is not a good marriage, and it will not last. But um, soulmate marriages are more about meeting the person's emotional needs for intimacy rather than building a life together. And that's what God wants. He wants when you get married to build a life together. But they focus on having a marriage that perfectly meets everything that they desire. It's just not going to happen. And if you're single thinking that, well, you're going to have a rude awakening that one day you're going to, the person that you thought was your Prince Charming, the person that you thought was the princess of all princesses, one day you're going to wake up and look over there and find out that you married one of Satan's relatives. There is not a marriage on this planet that has not been confronted and attacked in some way. So don't think it's strange, you know, if you're going through, you know, Christians, we try to say like, oh, yeah, we, where our marriage is made in heaven. Well, if you were living in heaven, that would be fine. But unfortunately, there's a devil on this planet and we deal with flesh. And so I doubt that every day of your life is heaven on earth. So you do get attacked. And listen, if, you're, if I'm not talking about marriage, I'm, I'm talking about relationships in general. You are going to have times when things aren't so rosy. So what do you do? Would you just suck it up and just get through it? God doesn't want you just to suck it up. He has made a way for you to have victory in your marriage no matter what. You know, I, I just know that um, if we are dependent upon people and circumstance to make us happy, you're never going to be happy. You know, we expect, you know, if I would have a great marriage if she would just treat me right. I would have a great marriage if he would just do what I want him to do. I would have a great marriage if when I went to the grocery store there was nobody in line. I would have a great marriage if everything was perfect. You're not going to have everything perfect and nobody is going to treat you perfect every day of your life. Having said that, so you think, well, man, what does a person do? Just be miserable all their life? No. God did not intend for people to be the source of your happiness and joy or circumstances. If you're waiting for that to happen, you're going to have a long, long wait. God gave you and me, listen to me, the ability to have victory, to have joy, to have happiness, no matter what's going on the outside. But if you're looking on the outside, you're looking for love and all of the wrong places. It should be on the inside where you look. It should be on the inside where, where you look because we have a tendency to look at people differently, especially when you're married. You, you look through glasses that are rosy colored when you're examining your life and that, that how you're doing things right. 
in the marriage situation. But as soon as you look at your spouse, you take those glasses off and the list is far different. When I realized when we had troubled times in our marriage, it was always she needs to change. If she would just change, I would have a wonderful marriage. And when I talked to God about that, there was silence. I tell people in premarital classes in marriage, you know, I tell them, first of all, make a list of the negative things uh, of your soon-to-be spouse, you know. List at least five things that you don't like or that are negative, you know. If they can't come up with any, I say, you're not ready for marriage because if you think that's a perfect person that you're going to be married to, you either just met them yesterday or you're blind and deaf or something because nobody's perfect. I said, nobody's perfect. So I said, you know, if you see all, they, so they make a list and then they, the last thing I do on the last day of the counseling session, I have them look at each other and I say this. I said, I want you to think it's such a positive reaction. <laughs> I said, I want you to look at them and realize that if they never, ever change, you could still live with this person forever. Because I know it seems to be a tendency more with women than it men that they think, I can change them. And I'm going to spend the rest of my life in trying to do that. Well, honey, you are looking for trouble. God didn't put you on earth to go around and changing people. Thank you for all of those amens. God is the changing agent. It takes God to change somebody. He said, I know, but I just want to help him. You will cause strife and division in your home. The devil does want to destroy your marriage. You need to know that, and that's why people, they do have... From time to time, you, you, you're going to butt heads. There's going to be things. And so I, I want people to think, oh, man, we're having a little shake-up in a marriage, and people get nervous, people get concerned, you know. You know, it's just like, you know, there's sometimes people think there's serious problems with their marriage, and you ask them what it is, and you go, honey, this is not serious. You just got a cold. That's nothing serious. I mean, everything's going to be all right. You just got to have a different perspective. But I'm going to give you something today that I think this is going to be an exciting series. This is going to be an exciting series. What if you were to believe this? The best marriage you can possibly have is the one that you're in right now. <clears throat> the best marriage that you can possibly have is the one that you're in right now. So many times, you know, if you've been married for a long time, there's probably this thing comes in the back of your mind. I think I married the wrong one. No, you didn't. Where do you think that, that thought came from anyway? I mean, you think God gave you that thought? Thank you, Lord. I didn't know that, but I appreciate you telling me. We can take care of this. No. When you believe, listen to me, when you believe, 
that this is the best marriage that you can possibly have right now, you're going to be able to dip into a reservoir. I believe there's going to be a revelation knowledge that comes to you that there is a grace on the inside of you to have just that, a great marriage. You know, the Bible says this, that God has, has, past tense, given us all things that pertain to life and to godliness. So what does that mean? Everything that you need to have a great marriage, everything that you need to have a great relationship, to have a great job, to have anything great in life, everything that you need has been given to you. It's not going to be given to you in heaven. It's been given to you now. When you get to heaven, you're going to get a mansion. That's not going to be given. But everything that you need on this planet, which means a good marriage, has been given to you already, and it's on the inside of you. See, I was looking on the outside. I was looking for this to change. I was looking for that. And God says, you know, Mike, it's on the inside of you. What you need to have a good marriage has been placed on the inside of you. It's called grace. You and I have grace on the inside of us. I mean, not just a little bit. It is a Niagara Falls experience of grace on the inside of you. And so if you realize that, when you do have trouble, and when you're going through things, you know, Paul, you know, in Corinthians, everybody talks about Paul's thorn in the flesh. You know, some people think that, you know, that was God smacking Paul upside the head. But the Bible specifically tells what the thorn in the flesh is. It was a messenger from Satan. And then if you go interpret the Bible out of the Bible, the thorn in the flesh in the Old Testament, God says, if you don't take care of the enemies that are in the land, they're going to be thorns in your flesh. So Paul's thorn in the flesh were people, religious people, religious people following him from town to town trying to cause riots when he was preaching the gospel. So he went to the Lord three times about this. He says, man, I can't take this. I'm, I'm, I'm struggling here. I, I need some help. You need, I mean, wipe these people off the face of the earth or something. And God said this to him, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. My point is this, you may be going through H-E double toothpicks in your marriage. In your marriage, you got it? What I want you to know today when you leave this place, there is a power, there is a grace on the inside of you. Not only to overcome anything that you may be facing in your marriage, but to cause you to have victory in spite of it. Everybody said that's good news. The gospel is good news, you know. That's what we preach, good news. Grace. Because you do, from time to time, have marriage trouble. And you think, I, I don't know if I can do this. And if you've been married for very long, sometimes hours, <laughs> you think, what have I done? We cannot do anything to make ourselves more deserving of the grace that God has given us. I just want to make sure that you realize that what God has given you, that grace on the inside of you, 
You can't do anything to deserve it, to make it multiply, to make it more real in your life. Because if you could do something, then it would no longer be grace. Grace is something that you and I don't deserve. Grace is something you and I do not deserve. But God says, because I love you, because I've chosen you, because you're special to me, I've given it to you. I know that there's times. Well, let me read Romans 11.6 first. Romans 11.6. But if it is by grace, it isn't by what's done anymore. King James Version says it's not by works. If it were, God's grace wouldn't be grace. In other words, if you could work for this, if you could be good enough for this, then it wouldn't be grace because you would deserve it. But God says, you don't deserve to have a great marriage, but you know what? I'm going to give you grace so that you can. I want to give you an illustration of grace. In Deuteronomy 7, 6, God said this to the children of Israel. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love on you, nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people. For you were the least of all peoples, but because the Lord loves you. Because what? The Lord loves you, and because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage, from the hand of the Pharaoh king of Egypt. So God tells the children of Israel, you're a holy people. Not because you do everything right. You're a holy people because I have chosen you. Then he turns around and he says, you're a special treasure. You're special. He says, you're special. And it's not because you do special things. It's because I have chosen you. And then he says, you're a great nation. And it's not because you're the most populated nation on the planet. Matter of fact, you're the least of all the nations. But it's... You're a great nation because I love you. That is grace. You're holy because of grace. You're holy or special because of grace. You're great because of the love and the grace of God. Why am I bringing that in? That is the same attitude that you need to have and bring into your marriage. What do I mean? We tend to look at people... We tend to look at our spouse and say, if you do these things, then you will be great to me. God's attitude is, you're great because I chose you. You would be special to me if you would do special things for me. <laughs> Oh, the stories I could tell. God said to Israel, you're not special because of the special things that you do. Matter of fact, you haven't done anything special for me lately. We have the mentality, what have you done for me lately? 
And if there is nothing but a whistling sound of wind, that's not good. The question shouldn't be, what have you done for me lately? The question should be, what have I done for you? Because I was going, I, was, I changed the way that we'll probably pick up here next week unless the Lord changes me again. But I, I'm going to say that love is not what you feel. Love is what you do. Love is not what you feel, but it's what you do. For God so loved the world that he, ah, oh, he did something. <laughs> I said he did something. And marriage, if you're going to have a good marriage, it's not because of what they are doing or how you're feeling. It's what you are doing. And as soon as I took my eyes off this woman that God gave me, I know he said I've given you a gift that I said, <laughs> I don't know sometimes, you know, if that gift, you know, you think I shouldn't have unwrapped it maybe. But I mean, I'm telling you that God says, no, it is good. But you are the one, Mike. We're waiting for that person to do something differently, to change, and God all along is saying, you have the ability inside of you, so what are you going to do? I truly believe that God, I'm so thankful that God didn't set it up that for me to be truly joyful, to truly have victory, to truly be happy, that it's all dependent upon everything out here. I'll be happy and be joyful, I'll be victorious. If she treats me perfectly, then I'll have those three. If my boss treats me perfectly, if my kids treat me perfectly, if my friends, if a stranger's on the street, if all these people just do perfect, I will have joy and victory. Hallelujah. My dog never does throw up, has diarrhea on the floor. It's just great. I just said that because that happened this week. It wasn't a good experience. You just think, I told my wife, I go, I don't like pets anymore. It only takes one diarrhea to change that. But this is the thing. This is the thing. God didn't set it up. And I'm so thankful that he did, didn't. He didn't set it up to where if all and everybody and everything is perfect, then you can have victory. Then you can be joyful. Then you can have happiness. He didn't set it up that way. He set it up, I'm going to come and dwell and make my abode on the inside of you. And you're going to have perfect peace because I live in you. Thanks. That's why Paul, I mean, look at Paul. He did, I mean, the guy got beaten, stoned with rocks. Not pot, with rocks. He got messed around, locked up, put in jail for two years, mistreated, and then he sits there and pins, thanks be to God who always causes me to triumph. He didn't say, I have victory because, you know, everything, everybody's doing good. He survived the shipwreck and still got snake bits. You think, man, this is a bad day. He got, his ship was totally destroyed. It was cold. He was making a fire. And then in the midst of that, he got bit by a poisonous snake. It's just not good, Paul. We tend to look and say, man, God, what is going on? It's because you're looking out instead of looking in. God has given us the ability to have all of the grace that you need to have victory in your marriage. And it shouldn't be based upon how you feel. Thank you. 
That was from God, though. It's not my opinion. I'm telling you, it's not my opinion. The more of the gospel, the good news, that you can grab a hold of and believe, just believe it. And I'll tell you what God told me. There's times in my life with God, I said, well, man, this is just hard. It's hard to believe this. And you may be sitting there today thinking, man, I, you do not know who I'm married to. <laughs> it's not Satan, but it's definitely one of the relatives. I'm just telling you. A close relative at that. And so you may be thinking that I just can't see that. So what you're saying is that your circumstance is too big for God and that He did not equip you or give you enough power on the inside of you to overcome that for God. I'm just trying to get you in perspective here. I'm not trying to belittle it. Because there's, like I said, there's nobody here, including your pastor, has not went through the ringer when it comes to marriage. And sometimes it's not just once. Sometimes it's not twice. Sometimes it's a roller coaster. I mean, it's just sometimes not good. So what do you do? You have to look on the inside of you and say, God, we need to talk. And I believe that you've given me the ability, you've given me the grace, and grace is just the undeserved favor and the power of God that's inside of you. There's no circumstance, there's no situation that you have not been given power to get through it, over it, or around it. So what are you looking at today? If you're looking for things to go different out there, you may be waiting for a long time. But you truly want the joy and the victory that Paul talked to us about, then you need to look on the inside and say, thank you, Father, that I have grace to be married to this person that you have given me. I have grace for all things. And it's not just a little dab of the doo. I have an abundant supply of grace. So, Israel, God said, I've chosen you, and you're a holy because I've chosen you. He says, You're special because I've chosen you, and you're great because of my love for you. Why am I bringing this in? That is the mentality that you need to take into your marriage. Do you realize? You read the Old Testament and, man, you think, God, why did you put up with them? I mean, they made idols. They made gods with their own hands. They made gods with their own hands and wanted to worship that which they made instead of the true living God. God didn't write them off. I don't know about you. That's pretty bad. My point is this. When you're in a relationship, have that same mentality. You're holy, you're special to me because I've chosen you. You may not be the most beautiful person. You may not be the richest. You may not be, and the list goes on and on and on. But God said, even though you weren't the greatest, you're the greatest to me because of my love for you. Did you hear that?
<laughs> if you have that mentality, that would go really, really far in your marriage. You think that person needs to change so that we can accept them or be happier. We even think, religious people think that our proper human behavior will cause us to have a greater relationship with Father, God. We think that proper human behavior is the key to a relationship with God. We think that proper human behavior is the key to a relationship with God. So in other words, people think that if you're perfect, if you do everything right, I mean, if you're just 100% dedicated to God and never do any sin, never sin, then you're going to have a good relationship with God. The problem with that is you and I can't do that. You can't do that. Oh, you can't be perfect. You can't, I mean, just because the Bible says, He who knows to do good and does it not to him, it is sin. So if you know, if you have a strong feeling, I should, I should go and take a pie, Jeremy. And I don't do it? Man. You know, we think, well, I didn't commit adultery this week. I didn't do this and I didn't do that and I didn't do that. So I'm doing pretty good. But did you do not do something that you could have done that was good to somebody else? Oh yeah, I, yeah, every day. Sin. So my point is this: this is that if we're basing our listen to me, if we're basing our relationship to God based upon our behavior, you're always going to come up short, and nothing's going to be right. Now let's take that same mentality into our marriage. If they're perfect, <laughs> they never do me wrong. We have a great relationship. Would you want that same measurement that God measures? His standard is not 99.9999%. His standard is 100%. If you break any part of the law, the Bible says you're guilty of the whole law. So you can't keep the law. So what's, you know, it's not like if I try to jump and touch that ceiling, which when I'm 16, I can get maybe 12 inches from that. But if you get one inch from that, you're still short. You're still missing. So you can't say, well, I do better than so-and-so. Well, you're still going to hell, honey. Because it's not as close as you can or as good as you can to God. He doesn't say, well, just do the best you can. He says, no, the standard is 100%. So nobody could do that. So what's the solution? Jesus. The grace of God. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son because He says, you ain't going to be able to do this, so I'm going to pour God into a human flesh because human flesh is going to pay the price. So it was Jesus. It was all about Jesus. I couldn't live up to that standard. And guess what? Your spouse is never going to be able to live up to the standard either. But the good news is, the same grace that it took you to get saved has been placed inside of you to live with the person you've been married to. 
can set you free. Instead of you looking all the time like, I could be married to her. She's, she's nice. She's pretty. She dresses nice. The devil will make sure to get the magnifying glass on that. There's always going to be somebody for, you know, I married the most beautiful woman in the world. Until you see somebody else that's more beautiful than her. Love is not a feeling. Love is something that you do. I choose. I choose. I choose. I choose who I love. I can choose who I dislike. I can choose who I hate. If you hate people it, it, and you got rid of that person, the hatred is not going to go away because you still got hate in it. Are you hearing me? So it, it's not the person that's the problem. It's the hate that's in you is the problem. Wow! So you're... Not really the problem. It's what's in you that you've been meditating on is problem. I know I had a hard time swallowing that too. You can't have that kind of mentality in our marriage. Why? Because they just like God, you can't be perfect to have the great relationship based upon your behavior. You're not going to be able to have a great marriage based upon their perfection and the behavior being perfect all the time. Some of you getting choked on that. But just keep chewing. Now, I'm going to get practical on this series as well. You know, I hear people say, I just love this person so much. They're just like me. We like the same things. We fill out the sentence when they go halfway, and I think, oh, how romantic. But you're going to have a rude awakening. Men are not like women, and women are not like men. If they were perfectly the exact same, then God would have said, Adam, you don't need anybody. <laughs> but God said, you know, you need help, boy. Yeah, I mean, you, you, oh, you, oh, yeah, you need help. And so God provided him Eve. Why? Because he needed help. And Eve was not created. She was taken from Adam, but she was not created in the image of Adam. She was created in the image of God. You know, people think that, you know, Adam was created in the image of God, and Eve, well, you know, she came out of that. No, the Bible says he created a male, in, male and female in the image of God. So, Adam's not here, and, and Eve's here. Uh, they're both created in the image of God. And you need all of that package. But they're very different. Men and women are very different. And so many times we have arguments with our spouse. We even, if you're a co-worker, you need to know this. I mean, if you work with men and you work with women, you know, you need to know that, you know, they don't think like me. I preached a series one time, if you've been here a very long, long time ago, that women hear and see pink, men hear and see blue. You can speak pink 
and think that he ought to get it, but he has blue ears, and it's going to be translated into blue. Which means it's nothing like what came out of your mouth. And you think, you are the most stupid person on the planet. No, you are the most stupid person. You are stupid. No, you are stupid. No, you are stupid. I don't like you. I don't like you either. Now, these statistics are average, and they couldn't even be different from men to women. But just how different are they? Women speak on average of 20,000 words per day. A man speaks on the average 7,000 words per day. You do the quick math, that's 13,000 more than men. Ladies, you know what that means? If it's late at night, right before you go to bed, it's not a good time to bring up serious conversation. Why? He's out of words. And you want him to talk. You want him to talk. And so he's just going to go, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. You're going to be talking not even nothing, man. He's going to go, uh-huh. Yeah. Absolutely. Nothing was heard. 84% of domestic violence is done by a man hitting a woman. Not a woman hitting a man. You think, oh, I know, because men are stronger, and that's why. It's proven statistically that's usually not the case. It's because he ran out of words and didn't know what to do. I wish I was making this up, but it's, it's true. He just ran out of words. He says, I don't know what to do. I just can't. Hmm. I'm not justifying it. You understand, ladies, I am not justifying I'm trying to help you here. The Lord does, I know that God wants you and I to have the greatest marriage on the planet. He wants you to be happy. Why? He's a good father. I said, he's a great father. He said, well, I've already divorced. I wish I would have heard this six months, six years, What? You know what, don't, God's not got a plan B. Everything's going to, you keep following after God and you are going to be blessed because you are blessed. He is your, you are his child. He is your father. He's, you know, God's not writing you off. You just keep believing the best. God is doing exceedingly abundant above all that I can ask or think according to the power that is in heaven. No, he says he's going to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or think according to the power that is in us. So you've got the power, you've got the grace for victory in every area of your life, including your marriage. Men and women are different. Women have 180 degree vision. Their peripheral vision is much greater than men. Men have long-range vision and depth perception greater than women. That's why men are, you know, they're like great hunters. I'm not saying women can't hunt, but I'm just saying men have better long distance, and this is speaking averagely, that they can see better for long distance. Men are broadsided in car accidents 
four times more than women. So the next time you're tempted to say women drivers, I'm just saying four times. You know why? Because women see. They're driving down the road and out of their peripheral vision, they see somebody who looks like they're going to run a red light. They'll put on the brake. The man goes, boom, get T-boned. What is it? I didn't see it. There's been more arguments in the in the in a car. I mean, men and women arguing. And if we could understand, it's because you're getting too close to that person. You need to slow down. You need to do this. I know what I'm doing. I can see. You know, when he sees a vehicle ten feet from him, you know, he thinks, Well, I got ten feet. The woman says, You're going to hit him. Death perception. And she sees a car coming, changing a couple of lanes, and it looks like it may come too close to it. She'll go, huh? And he goes, what, what, what? What's wrong with you, woman? What is the matter with you? Men are typically of the male species. They just can't find them. And all the women know that. I mean, all the women said. My wife would tell me, go down to the basement, we have this cabinet, you know, and get some salsa. I go down there, come back up. We don't have any, huh? I bought it, it's down there. Go back down there, look. Go back up. Where is it? I don't see it. She goes down there and she finds it. So now, I've got an answer for her. You learn after a while. She'd tell me, go look for something. I'd come back up. I said, I don't see it, but I am a man. What am I asking for? Grace. Mercy. Men do not see. In England, they did this survey of 50 couples. True story. They videotaped it and everything. 50 couples. They told the couple, you know, the wife, you know, We'd like you to prepare a meal for your husband. And what we want you to not say is we want you to put the butter on the second shelf in the very front in the refrigerator. And then after you sit down and get ready to eat, say, oh, honey, can you go and get the butter? So they did this. They videotaped this. Fifty men out of fifty men, forty-eight could not find the butter. I had somebody in the first service figure it out. It's 96 to 98%. There's no butter in here. It's there. It's in the fridge. And the man's... He's looking. He's long range. You know, he's in there. He's looking. He's, he doesn't see it. It's right in front of his nose. Can't find it. There's no butter in here. I said there's no butter in here. She walked over, it was on video, and she said, here it is. Well, I tell you what, he need gets on. So ladies, he's a man. Don't get frustrated. I know it's easy to get frustrated, but he just doesn't. Now, if you could tell him to say, okay, back up 10 feet. There it is right there. A woman can look inside the fridge and she has 180 degree peripheral vision. She doesn't even have to move her head and she knows and sees everything in the fridge. A man's going. 
There ain't no butter in there. I'm telling you, ain't no butter in there. If there's butter in there, I'd see it. I'd find it. There ain't no butter in there. And there's small wars being fought over because he is so stupid he can't even find his nose. Probably can't. Well, the good news is if you know God has given you a gift that is different than, from you. They're very different from you. But it's not different just for the sake of being different. It's to help and complement you. There's no two different people on this planet than me and Melody. I can almost guarantee it. In every aspect of life, in every detail of life. I didn't know it until I married her and shared the toothpaste with her. You really know somebody when you know how they squeeze the toothpaste. She grabs it in the middle. For months, it irritated me. I'd get the bottom and squeeze it all back out. Very next day, squeeze the middle. I squeeze it back up. But you, you know, the first time, oh, isn't she sweet? After about six months of that, you want to leave a note, squeeze the toothpaste from the bottom. It's just amazing what the devil can magnify to make things irritating to you. I got a friend who's a pastor and he sit there. His wife leaves cabinet doors open all the time. She just leaves them open. For years they're married. It, it, there are small wars fought over that. I can't put, would, would you just quit? Would you please? You're so, what is, why? You open it? Why can't you close it? What, what's so difficult about that? What is so difficult? And so she would do that for a time. But how many know? You're not perfect. So she could go back to her old ways. So he was on his way to preach. And that morning, <laughs> all the cabinet doors were open. He was about ready to blow up. And he thought, I'm getting ready to go preach. And finally he got still before God. And you know what? He looked on the inside instead of the outside. And the grace of God within him says, you know, you could just make it your job to be the closer. Just make it your responsibility that my wife leaves him open. I'm going to fix it. So, he walked in there with a whole different attitude. I'm the closer. It's my job. I'm not going to lose my joy over it. Why? Because I've given you grace. I've given you grace to have victory in every circumstance. I'm not trying to make, uh, listen to me, I'm not trying to make light of things that are different. Yeah, you, you shouldn't. But you just need, never, what comes from this pulpit should never be used as a weapon in your relationship. Didn't you hear the pastor? Didn't you hear him? Yeah. Uh -huh. You ain't doing it. You're supposed to be doing it, but you ain't doing it. This message is not to give you weapons to fight in your marital conflict. You understand? This is for you. This is for you. Not for your spouse. For you to tell your spouse, you, you wasn't listening, were you? You weren't. No, this is for you. 
And it's for you to have victory. I said it's for you to have victory and joy and peace. John 16, 33, Amplified Version, I close with this. It says, in the world you're going to have strife, or you're going to have tribulation, you're going to have frustrations, you're going to have trials, you're going to have all these things. But I have overcome them for you. I have deprived of its power to harm you. God has given you stuff on the inside even to deprive you to ever have harm even in your marriage. Even in your marriage. There's something inside of you to have victory and fight in the situation. Let's stand.